0: Well, if you have your bibles why don't you go ahead and grab them we are going to be in john 15 verse 18 through to chapter 16 verse 4. it is hard to believe but this is my second last sermon before sabbatical which will be a period of about 14 weeks where i will not be writing or preparing any sermons. And over the last 11 years, 11 and a quarter years of full-time pastoral work, I think the longest I ever went out went without actually writing a sermon and then teaching was probably about three weeks. And so Probably after about three weeks of my, into my sabbatical, I'm going to be feeling like I need to like orate or teach something. So please pray for my family. Um, on that note, though, I am really excited to have the opportunity to teach this morning and, and to lean in over sabbatical from a break from it. But I would just ask you, you know, with all of this kind of circling in my mind right now that you would be praying for me as I do take this time away and uh, that God would be, I would really lean into allowing God to continue to teach me as I've been sharing with you both through written format and through verbal format the last few weeks, really praying that God and I would grow in greater and deeper intimacy through this time. And that I'd also be taking this time to just slow down and notice, to be present uh, both with myself, with God and with my family, with Andre in particular, and then with my kids as well. So would really just ask that you join me in praying to that end. With that, why don't we take a moment right now to pause and to check in, to maybe become present. You might slow down your breathing. Inhale, six or seven seconds. Exhale, six or seven seconds. Repeat that. Invite Jesus then to join you with where you're at. Maybe identify how you're feeling. Invite Jesus into that feeling and ask him that he would teach you something new this morning. Uh, That would be my prayer for us and for you is that he'd teach you something new this morning, that he'd walk with you, that you would know that he's with you. So let's take a moment to do that. And so, Jesus, we do invite you to join us and to meet us here today. I thank you that you're not far away, but you're close. I pray that we would know your presence. I pray that we would know that you want to help us know that we are loved. To speak to us afresh today. That your spirit would do a work in our hearts. And so we pray for that. And in your son's name we pray, amen. Before we jump into the text this morning, I invited one of our new missionaries. Uh, If you had looked at our budget last year, you would have maybe become aware that we have introduced a new missionary that we are supporting financially or supporting through prayer. And his name is Camille. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to Camille and to his story of how he came to know Jesus as Savior. Now, a couple of contextual details. You're going to hear him in in his testimony video talk about how he converted from the Orthodox Church and then came to an evangelical church. And that might seem confusing. In the Middle East, where he is from, there's the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, and then there's the Evangelical Church. And the Orthodox Church uh, would not believe the tenets of the true gospel that the Evangelical Church would believe. What I mean by that is to say that in the Orthodox Church, it's very much believed that I earned, that people earn their salvation, they earn their way to heaven by doing good works and good deeds, rather than trusting Jesus as Savior. And so as you hear and as you listen to Camille's story now, just think on that as he is sharing how he was part of the Orthodox Church and then came to be part of the Evangelical Church. Greetings, brothers and sisters.
1: My name is Camille. My name is Rita, I want to share with you my testimony and the experience I had back in Syria before I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I am originally from Syria, and from an Orthodox Church where I spent my childhood and youth, and I was planning to study theology in order to become a priest. But when the war started in Syria, I had to move to Lebanon. I was planning to pursue my studies in theology at an orthodox university in Beirut. At the last stage of the registration, the Lord allowed me to withdraw. I was so sad, and I didn't know why this happened. It took me a whole year to understand why the Lord allowed this to happen. But then later on, I figured the Lord had a plan for me, a different plan than what I had for myself. I met a guy who introduced me to the Evangelical Church in Qasrwan, I attended a meeting there, and I was surprised. I found that the brothers and sisters there had immense faith, and what attracted me even more was the love they had for each other. The Lord started to work in my life and I declared Him as my Savior in the year 2015. Since then, the Lord laid on my heart a vision to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in my community among refugees coming from Syria and Iraq and to plant a church among these people. Also, the Lord laid on my heart and my wife's heart a ministry called Bread for All and I shared it with Pastor Bashar Garkafi. This ministry is to feed the hungry people in the Syrian, Iraqi, and Lebanese communities. We are now serving 120 families by distributing food baskets and food vouchers, as well as propagating the Word of Christ throughout their communities. Also, as a family, we just started a ministry with the needy elders and orphans, where on a weekly basis, we visit them and cook for them. God bless you. We are praying for you and we thank the Lord for your partnership and your generous support. You are in our
0: prayers. we are honored to have the opportunity to be supporting Camille. $7,500, uh, our commitment was $7,500 this year and going forward, and we'd love to be able to increase that over the years as we support Camille as he is being trained to plant churches and to plant a church among uh, the Syrian refugees and the refugee population in Lebanon. And I would ask you to continue to pray for Camille. Now, something—the reason I wanted to introduce you to Camille was one to introduce him to you in general, but also this morning, in particular, there are some things that Camille didn't share about his own story that I have been given the permission—permission—to share with you as well. As Camille says in the video, he converted from the Orthodox Church into the Evangelical Church. He believed Jesus as Savior. Now, Camille didn't touch a lot on in his story about what that decision has meant for him personally. And this week, I found out some of those details. And one of the realities of his decision to come to Christ, to believe Jesus as Savior, and then to stay in Lebanon and to plant a church is now the hostility and the persecution that is he is experiencing from his family, his brothers in particular, related to his decision to become part of the evangelical church. One of his brothers has actually uh, moved to Germany, has, has immigrated there, and has... Expressed a willingness to help Camille get there as well, only as long as Camille were to deconvert or to turn from trust and belief in Jesus and instead return to the Orthodox Church. And Camille. Through his faith in Jesus, trusting Jesus as Savior has said, No, I am going to remain faithful to Jesus Christ and to the mission that He has for me, to the plan that He has for me to stay in Lebanon and to plant a church among refugees. Camille is someone, as a follower of Jesus, who is experiencing hostility and persecution because of his faith in Jesus. Now for you and for me living here in the West, there are a lot of freedoms that we have when we follow Jesus. We can worship in this way in an online format. This doesn't need to be underground. Uh, When there's no pandemic happening, we can gather in public school spaces and worship Jesus and preach the gospel and talk about what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. We have those freedoms. But as we turn to the text today, and the reason I wanted Camille to share his testimony and then for me to uh, give those details to you, is as we turn the text today, we see the impact of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we've seen in the text, Jesus is, is making it abundantly clear to his disciples as he's giving, him, giving them the, his, his, really his farewell discourse. He's preparing for them for his departure, and he's trying to prepare them for what it will be like for them when he's gone. And then the text today, he kind of shifts his tone and he starts to focus really on persecution, on hatred and hostility towards his followers. So as we study this text today, I want us to keep in mind, Camille, I want us to keep in mind other believers in the world that are going through intense persecution and hostility for their faith in Jesus compared to our own experience, but I also believe that there is going to be and has been increased marginalization and discomfort around the ways of following Jesus in our own culture. But I'll break that down for us as we go through the text. With that, let's go to John 15, verse 18. John 15, verse 18. And as I said, we're gonna study through to 16, verse four. This is how Jesus begins here in this section that we're studying today. Jesus says, if the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, as I said, this is a little bit of a change of tone. Jesus in the, in the text that Spencer opened up for us last week talked about that if you abide in me and I abide in you, he talked about the developing the ongoing intimacy of a relationship with Jesus. And then that intimacy, then changes our posture towards the world. We love people better when we understand how well that we have been loved. We can love ourselves as we understand that we abide in Christ. Jesus now goes on and he changes his tone. Again, he's preparing them for his departure. I think also in a sense, he's trying to discourage quick conversion. He's trying to help people understand what it will truly mean and look like for people to declare him as Lord, as King, as Messiah, and as Savior. And so he starts and he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, let's break this down a little bit. Who's Jesus talking about when he says the world? When Jesus says the world, what he means is the created moral order who is living in rebellion against God. The moral created order that is living in rebellion against God. So, if the created moral order hates you, now, what is meaning by by hate, I mean, it's a strong term. It's a sort of term that, you know, when I was a kid and I would say to my brother or sister, I hate you. My mom would say, hold on, hold on. Hate's a very strong word. It's a strong word. The Greek word is meseo. And what it means is to dislike with a form of hostility leading to potential persecution. So what is Jesus saying? If the created moral order in rebellion, against me shows hostility and a dislike towards you, know that it has disliked, shown hostility towards me before it has done so to you. Well, then we ask the question, well, why has there been a dislike or a hostility towards Jesus? And John has told us this in John seven, verse seven, in which he quotes Jesus, when Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So Jesus points out the rebellion. Jesus points out the moral chaos. And as a result, the world, the created moral order in rebellion against God, dislikes and hates Jesus. And so Jesus says, first of his me, hated me. Verse 19, if you were of the world, we use the language again, if you were part of the created moral order living in rebellion against me, the world would love you as its own. And this makes sense, right? It would love you because you're just doing the things that the world does. But then Jesus says, but because you are are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See what Jesus is saying? He's speaking to us disciples, because I chose you to follow me. I chose you out of the world. I chose you out of the rebellion against God, out of the moral created or living in rebellion of, against God. I chose you out of that. And therefore, you're no longer living in light of their practices and their rebellion. And so therefore, the world is going to not like you, to hate you, to dislike you and show hostility towards you. As followers of Jesus follow the way of their master and as they fall more in love with their master and do what their master says, the same response to the master is going to be the response to followers of Jesus. Verse 20, Jesus says, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Hear what Jesus is saying is he's saying, "If, if I'm gonna be persecuted, if I'm gonna go to the cross, then you should expect the same thing as well. If it will cost me my life, it may in fact cost you yours as well. Now, if the world listened to to me, they would also listen to you. But if they don't listen to me, they're not going to listen to you. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, puts it this way, those who preach Jesus' gospel and live in progressive conformity to his own life and teaching will attract the same antagonism that he did. Let me say that again. Those who preach Jesus' gospel and live in progressive conformity, progressive conformity to his own life and teaching will attract the same antagonism that he did. And so what is Jesus saying? He says, you should not be surprised when it comes. I think at the same time, what Jesus is is showing us and teaching us is that there is a sociological impact on following him. Now you might say, well, what what do I mean by sociological impact? What I mean by that is the development, the structure, and the function of human society. The development, structure, and function of human society. There is a developmental functioning and structure of human society that is of the way of Jesus followers, that is of the way of Jesus, that is distinct from the way of the world or the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. There is a belief and there is a way that God has called us to flourish as human society. That is the kingdom of God. And then there is the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness. As I said, last week while I was on vacation, Andre and I tuned into another church community and the teacher of that church community was talking about the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And they used the analogy that at Goldman and Sachs, the smartest person on staff at Goldman and Sachs could be the janitor if the janitor is the one that's following the wisdom of God. And as it relates to our lives, Jesus is saying there is a sociological impact of following me that the way that you see humans are to flourish and to be structured will be distinct from the world. We can think about this through the political lens, through how we use our money, through sexuality, through our ethics, through our morality and through social justice. There's a sociological impact to following Jesus. Verse 21, what does Jesus say next? But all these things, the persecution, the hatred that they will do to you on on account of my name, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. I want to read this again. I know it's like almost the third time I've read it, but all these things that they will do to you, they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So while Jesus, notice what he says, while they, while they do this, because if there's a sociological or a, a social impact to following Jesus, notice where Jesus puts the ultimate why. They do this to you because of the theological reality. And the theological reality is what? They do not know the Father. And therefore, they do not know me. As Jesus has said repeatedly, They would know the father if they knew me. If they knew the father, they would know the son. And so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I am God. And if God is to have authority in the lives and to have a rule and a reign on the earth, therefore Jesus is to have rule and reign. And therefore what he says is the way that we ought to live. So for Jesus, though there is a social impact, it starts with a theological reality. Let's keep going. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, Jesus now speaking again about the world. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But he says, but now they have no excuse for their sin. You hear what he's saying? He says, I, if I had not come and called them out on their sin, they would not be guilty of it because they didn't know about it. It's kind of like you doing something and not recognizing that it is wrong. But as soon as someone points out and says, no, that's wrong. Then you have no excuse for what you've done because you now know being told by someone else that it's wrong. He then says in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. Again, he's going back to that relationship that he has with the father. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is is then taking what's been in the last two verses and kind of bringing them together. See how he started in verse 22 there with the word. He says, now that they know, because they've heard, they've seen the revelation of God to them, me, and I've pointed out to them their sin. So they have no excuse for it. He says in the same way related to his works. That if I had not come and done the works that I have done, the signs that I have done, they would not be guilty of sin. But now that I have come and done these works, they show that they hate me and my father. They've rejected both my word and they've rejected my works. And so therefore they hate both me, Jesus, and my father. But then notice what he says in verse 25. And it's an encouraging word, and I'll describe why in a minute. He says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now, Jesus here is quoting both Psalm 35, verse 19, and Psalm 69, verse 4. I'll just read Psalm 69, verse 4. It reads this, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? Why is this encouraging? What is Jesus communicating? Jesus is communicating that the hostility that both he and his eventual followers will experience, in particular he right now, hating him without cause, is not beyond his control and not beyond his redemptive plan the words that were spoken and written back in the Psalm are coming true now. And so those that are persecuting and will persecute followers of Jesus who are the Jewish audience who trust and believe the Psalms, they're convicted and condemned by their own law, by their own scriptures is what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is encouraging his disciples with is, listen, this persecution, this hostility that is going to come, I'm still in control and it's part of my redemptive plan. And then verse 26. But when the helper comes, now who is Jesus referring to? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, he says, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. What is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit? To bear witness about Jesus, to point to Jesus. This is a a powerful verse as it relates to Trinitarian theology, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That the role of each of the persons of the Trinity, one God, three persons, is to point and to bear witness about one another. Uh, Tim Keller describes the Trinity as as a dance, of a complementary dance. That each are are a complement to one another, supporting one another, because they are one, yet distinct so what will the spirit do when he comes he'll bear witness about jesus and then verse 27 and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning jesus says, not only will the spirit bear witness about me you will bear witness about me empowered by the holy spirit here's what jesus is saying and he's going to continue this conversation about the Holy Spirit and the text that we're going to look at next week, but only for an introduction today when I want you to be encouraged by is as the hostility, as the hatred, as the persecution comes, you cannot take it on your own, but you can take it empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue to bear witness about Jesus, to continue to follow him on mission as Camille is following Jesus on mission, staying in Lebanon, planting a church among refugees, why he's empowered by the Holy Spirit who will continue to bear witness about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you are not alone. If you have believed the truth of Jesus Christ in the gospel, by grace through faith, you have the Holy Spirit. And he wants to empower you as you bear witness about Jesus in the midst of an increasingly hostile and marginalized and discomfortable culture who is rejecting the sociological impacts of the way of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit who will empower you. Chapter 16, verse one, just four more verses. Jesus said, it says, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus now provides like, why, why is he, why did he change his tone? Why has he told us these things? And he's told them to prepare them, but he's also told them, notice what he says, to keep you from falling away. And what he's thinking about is apostasy, deconversion, rejecting Jesus. He's preparing them and telling them it's going to be hard. It's the sort of thing that I tell couples in premarital counseling. I say like, if you think your marriage is going to be like all joy and you know, like riding a like uh, a, a, a merry-go-round for like the you know the next number of years, I'm sorry, that's not the case. I can express that to you both from my own experience, but also from the experience of watching other couples. It's going to be hard. Expect hard days. Expect it not to be easy. Because the hope is, is that by me telling you that, when, or that these couples that, is that when those days come, they won't be surprised. And it'll keep them from saying, okay, peace out. I got to leave my, my, my wife or I got to leave my husband. And Jesus, similarly, he says, he's telling them these things. He's being honest with them about this because he wants to keep them from falling away. Verse 2 gets serious here. He gives some detail about the things that might happen and will happen as we study history. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. This means is that they will be declared as heretics. They will be told that they cannot uh, worship any longer in Jewish tradition. They will be put out of the synagogues. There'll be punishment that will be brought upon them by Jewish authorities, Saul also known as Paul in the scriptures, writes in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24, he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Five times he received the 39 lashes. Why? Because of his faith in Jesus, because of his proclamation of the gospel and his desire to see Jews come to know Jesus and Gentiles come to know Jesus. So they will put you out of the synagogue, says Jesus. He says, indeed, the hour is coming. Now remember what John has used in the terminology of the hour, thinking of Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation. Indeed, the hour, sort of the inauguration of when this will really take off, post Jesus' exaltation or ascension. He says, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, and just stop for a second, kills you. So Jesus starts with, they'll put you out of the synagogues. He then says, they will kill you. Why? Belief in Jesus. Trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. And wanting to the world to know it. To hear the message of salvation and the good news. And living out the way of Jesus and living progressive conformity to his kingdom. They will kill you. doing some research this week on the persecuted church as I was coming to this text I think it's helpful for us in our context to be reminded of the persecuted church to be praying for them and also to keep some real reality as we think about what would persecution look like in our own culture but then also some of the marginalization discomfort we might feel compared to what brothers and sisters are experiencing in the world Here's some realities, one in nine Christians in the world lives in an area or in a culture in which Christianity is illegal, forbidden or punished. In the top 50 countries reported in 2019, the list of places in the world where human and religious rights are being violated, a total of 1,266 churches or Christians buildings were attacked. Nearly 1,300 Christian buildings were attacked. 2,635 Christians were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. This is injustice. And 4,136 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. On average, that's 11 Christians killed every single day for their faith. Now, what does Jesus say in the text? They'll put you out of synagogues and they'll kill you. If we look at the 11 disciples, apostles, many of them were martyred because of their faith in Jesus. This came true. They were killed for their faith in Jesus. Let's continue. Why do they do this? End of verse two. When whoever kills you, why will they do it? Because they think that he is offering service to God. And verse three, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What does Jesus go back to? They will do this for theological differences. They will think that they are offering service to me, but they're not. Notice what Jesus says. So they think they're offering service to God. And he says, and they will do these things because they've not known the father nor me. This is the other reality. You will receive hostility or marginalization or discomfort in our society. Why? Because people don't know Jesus. People don't know the father. They don't submit to his authority. It's why when you're challenged on a question of ethics or morality, people are just not going to understand your position if they don't know and love Jesus. It starts with a theological position of who Jesus is and therefore what authority he has in my life. And if if he is who he is, then he needs to have that authority. Now, that doesn't mean you can't wrestle with doubt. And so maybe you're today, you're struggling with doubt. Be encouraged. Every believer struggles with doubt. But don't stop the search. Don't stop the journey. This is where we'll end today. Verse four. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus essentially restates what he said in verse 1, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He says, now I've said these things to you that when the hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He's preparing them for his departure, that when They were, as we studied history, in those situations where they are being martyred and persecuted and whipped and beaten for not their willingness to not stop preaching the gospel. And this is when civil disobedience was required. If the government says you can't preach your gospel, we say, no, we must preach our gospel. That they would think as those are things were coming that Jesus has already told them now Jesus is not the type of leader or rabbi here that says these things and then departs from the scene without undergoing suffering or his own persecution he can say these things to us and commission us forward because in the following days from this text Jesus would be beaten whipped persecuted and killed for the message that he was sharing for the kingdom that was coming and at the same time dying for the sins of the world that was living in rebellion against him so as Jesus says in the text, a servant is not greater than his master, that if we follow the way of Jesus, if we follow the way of our King, the way of our King is going to mean suffering, might be persecution and hostility. And he said these things to us. So when they do come, that we would not be surprised and that it would keep us from falling away. And therefore we would prepare for it because Jesus died. But then three days later, he came back to life. He defeated sin and death, which means that when we physically die, we are given eternal life. And so the great challenge to rejecting Jesus, the cost of rejecting Jesus is eternity apart from God is still death, eternal death and separation from God. Yet the great joy of trusting in Jesus, even though it might mean physical death, is that we receive eternal life. Life is on the line either way. It's a matter of where we spend that eternal life. With Jesus in his kingdom, we're living apart from him for eternity. We're gonna transition now to communion. And I, I can think really of, of, and there's other messages, other texts that you could preach on, but this morning I'm feeling like this is a, a perfect transition for us to remember the broken body of Jesus broken for us and his blood shed for us so that we might have life eternal. That when we trust in him, though we may physically die prior to his return, we have life eternal. Does the scripture say, absent from the body present with The Lord, eternal life is not something we simply look forward to in the future. It's something we experience now. I don't have to fear death because I'm going to live forever with Jesus. And that is granted and that is given because of Jesus' sacrifice, what he did, how he suffered, how he died on my behalf. And so what I invite you to do now is to take the bread. Maybe it's bread, maybe it's a cracker. And as you take this, would you thank Jesus for his broken body? And maybe for you in your life, it might mean a broken body. It might mean a broken spirit. It might mean a broken promise. It might mean rejection. It might mean someone making fun of you. It might mean marginalization on your street or discomfort in your workplace. Remember Jesus' broken body for you and then take it. And now what I want you to do is to take the juice, maybe it's wine in your context, and as you drink it, would you remember the shed blood of Jesus? Shed for you. And as Jesus says with his disciples, the Passover take this and do this in remembrance of me to so do that now and so Jesus I thank you that you are a king and that you are a Savior And that salvation is given to us as a gift by grace through faith. So I pray if there is anybody who's watching today, who's taking in this reunion today, who has not put their faith in Jesus, is trusting and putting their faith in their own works. And just a belief that, well, God will love and accept everybody, regardless of what they believe. God, would you speak to them today and show them that you came to make a way for them whether it be through legalism or license, God, would they come to know the truth, the gospel for salvation? For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's a gift from God that none of us may boast. It's all because of you, Jesus. And may we be a people empowered by your spirit that regardless of the context or the situation or the discomfort, that we would continue to bear witness about you, Jesus, and also live in obedience and progressive conformity to your ways. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, in anticipation of the message next week, I want to read you some of the opening verses to where we'll be next Sunday. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I look forward to next Sunday. I love you. Praying for you. And may we as a community continue to live out and to pray for in Guelph as it is in heaven, may the kingdom of God come to Guelph. May the progressive conformity to Jesus in his way, penetrate the life, the society, and for human flourishing here in the city of Guelph. You are loved.